Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you so very much. God bless you. Praise God. Praise God. If you're our guest today, let me welcome you to Maysville Baptist Church. I hope that you will notice in the seat pocket in front of you, there should be a yellow card. If you'll get that yellow card, fill out the front and the back. And then at the end of the service, when we're done here in just a little while, take that by the Welcome Center and drop that off. There's a gift I'd like to give you just to say thank you for being with us uh, here today. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Uh, to our guest, we are going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, it's just been a real joy. I hope uh, our people have been enjoying it as much as I have. And uh, I'm delighted that you're here with us to join us in this text. Uh, Solomon is going to be speaking about the area of worship. He's going to be talking about worship. We're only going to get to verse number 7. This section all the way go goes all the way into chapter 6. Uh, around verse number 12 is where this section ends. But uh, in verses 1 through 7, Solomon's going to talk about our worship. Several years ago, I was uh, preaching uh, in Indonesia, uh, one of the largest uh, Muslim, actually the largest Muslim country in the world. Uh, they invited me to come preach at a church, and I, I went over and was preaching in a church. And, and uh, man, I, I, they sang beautiful music in their native tongue, and I got up to preach, and, and man, uh, the Spirit of God showed up, and I was just preaching. I was just letting it go, Lee. And I looked up, and they, the doors were opened in the back. They just they left the doors open, just one room building. And uh, in walked two stray dogs. They come right down the middle aisle. They did. They come right down the middle aisle, and they laid right on the front row right there. David, I'm telling the truth now. I just kept right on preaching. I, I've preached in Mexico before and had chickens come to church, uh, so I, that didn't make any difference. But here comes these two stray dogs. They sit right down there, and they sit there the whole time I'm preaching, the whole time. And then I got to the invitation. I gave an invitation. Them old dogs got up and walked and laid up under the altar. I thought, my stars, what in the world's happening here? But as soon as they, them dogs came forward, a lady came forward, stepped out of the back, came forward and gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ. The, th the point here is this. Don't be distracted by the dogs. Don't let the dogs distract you. Pay attention to what the Word of God says. And that's what Solomon wants us to understand today. He wants us to understand that when it comes to worship, there's some things that he wants us to make sure we're participating in. If you'll recall, Solomon has got this experiment that he's doing. He's doing everything in his power to see if he can find any fulfillment without God. And so he calls it life under the sun. He says, I've looked at everything you can think, out, uh, think of under the sun, and, and all I've found is vanity and vexation of spirit. He says, all I've found is meaninglessness and a bunch of smoke. It's just like spitting in the wind. You try to live your life outside of God, that's all life's going to be. And so Solomon uh, gets to chapter number 4 and chapter number 5 and chapter number 6. He can't help himself but write a proverb. You remember he wrote the book of Proverbs. And so now that he's done this personal experiment in his life, he's given now some proverbs for life under the sun. If you're going to live your life under the sun, he says, it's best to fear God. That's the Old Testament way of saying give your heart to Jesus. It's best to give your heart to Jesus, obey the Word of God. He says, obey the commandments of God, and enjoy life. I believe Christians ought to enjoy life. We, we ought to be the happiest people on the planet. Uh, we ought not to let uh, some rock steal our joy. We ought not to let some heathen steal our joy. I mean, this world thinks they've had a good time. I'm telling you what, I've had more fun on accident with Jesus than the world's had on purpose. 
And so we just we need to be a happy, happy bunch. Now, when it comes to worship, I believe we need to be happy too. Are you happy this morning? Some of you are not convinced. I'm about to make you happy. All right? Turn to that person beside you and say, I'm glad. I don't look like you. All right? Now you're happy. Everybody's happy now. That might put you in the right mood. Okay. Now, so when we come into the house of God, Solomon says, now listen. You need to pay attention to what you're doing. And that's what he's going to talk about today. So if you found your place in Ecclesiastes chapter number 5, if you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Here's some wisdom unto the Son Solomon gives us. He says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou art upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of businesses, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath not no pleasure, no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than thou should vow a vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that thou was an error. Wherefore, God should be angry, notice this, at thy voice. It's one thing, it's one, let me say something parenthetically right here. It's one thing for you to be mad at your kids and not want to hear their voice. It's completely different when God don't want to hear you. Okay, look at what he says. And destroy the work of thine hands. For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse vanities. But fear thou God. You may be seated for prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, the best that I know how. Lord Jesus, I yield myself to you. Only to be used as your mouthpiece to preach your word. Lord, this wisdom that is from, uh, that wisdom here on this earth. Uh, God, we know we want it to come from you. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, as we seek this wisdom under the sun, may we know where it comes from, that it comes over the sun. It comes from you. So, Father, I pray that as we think about this text today, that you would speak to our hearts. If there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray today would be the day that they get saved. Lord, if there's a believer here that is walking at a guilty distance, there was a time in their life when they were closer to you than they are today, I pray today would be the day that they come back home. Lord, we love you, and we consider it a great joy to be together and worship during this hour. Speak to our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want to show you, number one, is a warning about worship. A warning about worship. That's what Solomon is giving us. He's giving us a warning about worship. And the first thing I want us to think about is why proper worship is important. Why is the proper practice of worship Important. Well, when you think about it and go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you cannot help but notice that, remember, Cain killed Abel over an act of worship. You remember that? Uh, now, in that arena of that act of worship, it's important to understand the reason why God rejected Cain's worship. Did, here's the thing. Did, did Cain give his best? Yeah, he gave his best he had. But why did God reject it? Because he didn't do it God's way. 
You see, you can just go through this life and try to do it your way. You know, Frank Sinatra sang that song, I did it my way. Well, you try that your whole life and see if God's pleased when you get to heaven. No, listen, you're not going to get to heaven your way. If you're going to get to heaven, you're going to get to heaven God's way. And the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the way, He's the truth, He's the life. No man will come to the Father but by Jesus Christ. Only Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, that's not popular today, but it's biblical. And if we're, listen, if we're going to make a difference in this world, then we need to quit caring about being popular and we need to care more about being biblical. Uh, we are engaged right now in probably one of the biggest weeks of our ministry here at Maysville Baptist Church, our wild game dinner. Man, I'm so excited. I am so excited that you guys are participating. Man, our church, I tell you, I am so proud of you. And I don't mean a, a stick my chest up, nose in the air proud. I mean I am humbled to be your pastor and I'm grateful to God in a holy in a holy proudness that you are obeying the scriptures and wanting to see people saved. We're expecting somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,100 people on Thursday night. And uh, we've been praying for our speaker. Uh, Brother Larry Wynn is going to come and he's going to share the gospel. Uh, I'm excited about you bringing your lost friends. Man, it's going to be a great great evening and I thank God for that opportunity that we have now here's another thing but that's not the only thing that we do we do our uh, egg drop we do our Monday night visitation and let me just go ahead and say this while I can parenthetically on Monday night we'll have uh, 50 more visits than we normally have is that correct David we'll have 50 more visits than we normally have which means we need twice as many teams that we normally have on any given Monday night, we can see 50, we go out and see 50 homes, okay? We know that on the Monday night, next Monday night, we know that there's going to be 100 people that we're going to have to go see. So we need your help. If you don't come to any of our visitations, I'm asking you, I'm beseeching you, under the mercies of Jesus Christ, please come to that visitation and help us knock on those doors for those people that got saved. And let's see if we can't get them, not only as converts, but we want to see them move into the discipleship area, and we want to make disciples. Amen? Are you with me on that? Do you love me? I'm not convinced. Do you really love me? Oh, thank you. Good. I love you too. So here we go. The practice of worship, this proper worship is so vitally important because we don't want God to reject our worship. We don't want him to reject our, our worship. So that's in the Old Testament, Shane. What, what about the New Testament? Well, let me show you something. Take your Bibles and turn over to Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter number 15, uh, beginning in verse... Well, let's start in verse 1, then we'll drop down to verse number 7. Here's Jesus, and uh, then the Bible says in verse number 1 of chapter 15, Matthew 15, verse number 1, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem. So here come the religious preachers. All right, here they come, the religious leaders, the Sadducees, or excuse me, the scribes and the Pharisees. They're coming. Look at what the Bible says, verse 2. Here's the question. Why do thy disciples, Jesus, transgress the traditions, or the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. All right, that's just like religious people. To want to think more about traditions than they want to think about biblical principles. And so look here, Jesus. What's wrong with your disciples? They don't care nothing about traditions. They're not even washing their hands before they eat. Notice verse 3. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curses his father and mother, let him die 
the death. I wonder if the guy that spoke that was the one that cursed his father and mother. He was probably the guy that shoved his hands in his pocket and put his head down started looking at the ground. Look at what he says there in verse number 5. I said I was going to jump down, but I got so excited I haven't moved. Let's just keep going. But you say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it, shall, it is a gift by whatsoever uh, thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus ye have made a commandment of God of none effect by your very traditions. Ye hypocrites, well did Elijah prophesy against you, saying, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But in vain. They do worship me, teaching the doctrines, uh, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So there's a vain, there's a vain worship in the New Testament. Right there, it is. When we care more about traditions than we care about the Word of God and the biblical principles and the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have gone the way of the Pharisees and scribes. So he says here, there's this vain worship that exists today, which which means and gives us insight that uh, not all worship is acceptable to God. Not all worship is acceptable. God wants the worship, and the worship that we give to God, He wants it to be right. So, what is that? Solomon, do you have any insight into this? And he does. Let's look at the text, if you could. In verses 1 through 7 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, here's what he says in the arena of how worship is practiced. How worship is practiced. He gives five things, and we'll just camp right here on these five things. Number one, the first thing he says is walk cautiously. Walk cautiously. Notice what the text says. The Bible says in verse number one of chapter five, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. He says it here in this text that we are to keep our feet. That is the Old Testament way of saying you better watch your step. You better watch your step. Watch where you're going. It speaks of worshiping God with devoted hearts and yielded will. Is your heart yielded or, or your life yielded to God today? Is your heart devoted today? See, we're living in a day uh, today where our hearts are divided when we come into the house of God. It's divided. We want one foot in the world, and we want one foot in the church, and we want to straddle the fence. I'm telling you, when you straddle the fence that way, if you're a child of God, God's going to discipline you. He'll wear your tail out. Anybody in here ever had to pick their own hickory? Bless God, I had to pick my own hickory too. You, you know what uh, we used to learn growing up? I used to learn that when you, when you picked your own hickory, that you couldn't get it too small and you couldn't get it too big. My mama said, it's got to be the right way. So she'd say, go get your hickory. So I'd go out there and pick my hickory, and I'd pick the small, man, the smallest little thing. I, man, a little bit, and I'd bring that to her. And she said, no, that ain't going to work. You go, do, go get another one. Well, God, I'd go out there and I said, well, I'll show her, bless God. And I got the biggest one I could find. And I brought it to her and I handed it to her. And, and uh, she got that thing. She looked at that hickory. She didn't do anything but break it off to the size she wanted it. Now, there's two principles that I learned growing up. The first principle is the merry-go-round. Y'all know what the merry-go-round is? Merry-go-rounds when your mama grabs you by the scruff of the neck and, and she's wearing you out and y'all just going round and round and round and round. I told you not to hit your brother. I told you not to hit your brother. My brother's here today, so he's saying amen to that. All right, number two. The second one is called the cling-on principle. The cling-on principle. I learned as a child that if I, would, if I would get my body around my mama's leg and I just, just I mean, just legs and all, just huddle around it like that right there, and she had the hardest time, you know, coming down and whipping me 
But it didn't matter, man. When, when you, here's the danger of that. The danger of the Klingon principle is when she comes down, she hits your head, your ear, your back. I mean, it just, I mean, it just, it was bad. So none of them really, none of them really worked. But the point I'm trying to make here is this. Why did my mama discipline me? Now, I want to tell you, my brother's here. You can ask him. Our mama didn't, she did not abuse us. She didn't abuse us. My daddy didn't abuse us. The reason why she disciplined us is because she loved us. The reason why she tore our tails up is because she wanted us to act right. She wanted us to make decisions properly. She wanted us to live in such a way that we wouldn't do anything dumb. She wanted us to be good boys and girls and to be raised... Boys and girls, we didn't have any sisters. She wanted... Well, there, was that one, there was that one time, Lance, that Mama... Well, never mind, that's a whole other message. She wanted us to be good boys and be raised in such a way that we were, listen, proud to be Robertsons. And I don't mean in a bad way. But you know, the Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And so to live right. She wanted us to live right. And so she wanted to discipline us. Listen to me very carefully, child of God. God loves you. He's your heavenly Father. He wants you to live right. And if you don't walk cautiously as you come into the house of God... Daddy will take you to the woodshed. He'll take you to the woodshed. And that's what Solomon is saying. He's simply saying, listen, when it comes to this area of walking into the house of God, watch your step. Be devoted to God. Don't have a divided heart. You might say, well, how might the devil divide our hearts here at Maysville? I'll tell you how the devil will divide our hearts at Maysville. What he'll do is he'll pit you against David and because David ran out of tables or whatever, didn't have enough tables at the wild game dinner, and now you hurt, you're heartbroken, you're upset, and you're mad at him because out of all 3,000 seats, he should have remembered you and you should have a table. I mean, that's what the devil will do. Or, or here's another one. Here's what the devil will do. I've seen the devil do this. I've seen the devil get in church, Philip, and he comes and say, well, you know what, that music, it ain't, it ain't right. That music ain't right. No, it ain't right. And it's just, listen, it's a preference issue. But the fact of the matter is simply this. Well, we didn't like the worship. We didn't like the music. And so, you know, we, you, you, you sang it out of key or whatever. I've seen folks leave the church over stuff like that. No, we, God wants us to be unified. He wants there to be such a unity in the church that our purpose, we clearly understand our purpose here at Maysville Baptist Church. Love God, love others, and serve the world. And when we do, listen, when we do that, we function in unity in such a way where we combat the devil and we attack hell with a water pistol filled with the blood of Jesus. Now, I'm telling you, listen, the devil would love nothing more this week than for us to get our knickers in a twist and get mad at each other. That's what he wants. But let's just go ahead and serve him notice. We're going to walk cautiously. That's what Solomon says. He says, walk cautiously. Have a yielded will to God. Having a yielded will to God means you're going to let God rule in your heart and let God rule in your life, and you're not going to rule your life. When we think about the preeminence of Jesus Christ, when we think about it this way, thus, let's, let's say there's a throne in your heart, and there is. Who sits on that throne? Do you sit on that throne or does Jesus sit on the throne? If Jesus sits on the throne of your heart, then you will naturally yield your will to him. 
But if you sit on the throne of your heart, you will naturally push against the will of God in such a way to say, I know what I'm doing. I can do this. I've got this. I'm going to do it my way. And then when you do that, watch this. Here's what happens. Your devotion life falls off. Your church attendance falls off. Your prayer life falls off. And then you're out there in Lodibar somewhere in the cold darkness and you're just wondering, where's God? Where's he at? And really the bottom line is simply this. God's right where he's always been. You're the one that's walked away. You're the one that has gotten a dis... You see, Solomon, and, and we're going to get to this in the end, and we've seen it every time we've gone through a message that Solomon has preached. The bottom line is God didn't go anywhere. Solomon's, Solomon is the one that did the running. That's right. You remember the three books that have been written by Solomon in the Bible? Uh, number one, the Song of Songs. That's when he was young and in love. Oh, he loved that girl. Good, not a living. You ever read the Song of Solomon? He loved her. She loved him. And man, they loved the Lord together. He, that was a, a wonderful... And then he wrote the Proverbs. Oh, Proverbs are so wonderful. In fact, he can't help himself here in the book of Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> he has to write a couple of Proverbs because he just can't get away from it. And he wrote that when he loved God. But the Bible tells us there was a time in Solomon's life where he went after foreign women. His heart was turned away from God and his heart was turned towards lust. And for the, what he thought was the benefit of the nation of Israel, in fulfilling his own lust, he went after these foreign ladies. And going after those foreign ladies, it turned his heart away from God. God always stayed consistent. He always stayed the same. He's the one that did the running. Listen to me very carefully. You may be here today, and you're wondering, where is God? He used to seem so close to me. He used to be so close to me, but I don't feel his closeness anymore. Maybe the reason why you don't feel the closeness to God anymore is you're just like Solomon. There was a time in your life when you loved God more than you love him today. And you somehow, systematically, carefully, it is a slow fade. You faded away from God. And what Solomon is saying here, that as believers, we ought to come to church, listen, and walk cautiously. By not walking cautiously, you find in the Word of God that that will bring the judgment of God. He will discipline you. So the question that we have to ask ourselves right now is when we think about walking cautiously, is just simply this. Then how should we go to worship? When we go to worship, what should we bring? What should we bring to worship if we're going to walk cautiously? Because what does that look like? It's one thing to say walk cautiously, but how do you demonstrate that, Pastor? Is there anything in the Word of God that demonstrates a cautious walk when we go to church? I'm glad you asked. Such intelligent, intelligent people. Look, take your Bibles and go over to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter number 100. In Psalms 100, here we find a beautiful psalm that gives us insight as into what we need to bring to worship. Here's what we need to bring to worship. Number one, what we need to bring to worship is the right spirit. When you come in this place, we ought to come in with the right spirit. Why are we here? We are here to get our batteries charged as we collectively come together as believers that we might get so excited about what God is doing that we might go out and change the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that ought, there ought to be some, 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 some natural byproducts of that. So, so what do you mean? Let's look at the text. He says when you come with the right spirit, it's going to be a shouting spirit. Look in verse number one. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. 
He's given us an illustration of a shouting spirit. He says, make a joyful noise. That's a conscious effort. You consciously choose to worship God or not. Now, I know, listen, I'm not saying that you've got to do it my way in order to worship God right. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying you've got to do it David's way in order to worship God correctly. I'm not saying that at all. Look, I, I completely understand. Uh, some of us have been Southern Baptists all of our life. I was born in the Baptist hospital. I, I, I mean, really, some of us worship God, you know, and we can only get up about this high. I understand, you know, but you praising God the best you can, man, I'm, I'm for it. If this is all you got and you giving it to him, then praise God, give away. Uh, others, others, man, they can't, they can't help themselves. I mean, they, boop, they just, both hands go up. I was looking out here in the choirs. Uh, uh, they were singing, uh, both hours. Suppose they're singing, tears rolling down folks' face. they wiping tears out of their eye. What were they doing? They're worshiping. They're worshiping. Uh, others, uh, others out there, you know, hey, Lord Jesus. And others raising that, and then, hey, man, and then a glory, then a shout. It's a conscious effort. He says, make, conscious. You've got to consciously participate in worship. The second thing he says, make a joyful noise. A joyful noise. That word joyful there in the text means to give a public confession. In response, really, when you get it down to it, it's to make a public confession to the attributes of God. It would be something like this. Boy, God's good. You got it. Let's try it again. God's good. A, a public response, a confession. And the ones that confess know about the goodness of God. Uh, Lee, you can say about the goodness of God. Bless God, you get shot at three or four times. You know God's good. You're still alive and in church, dear brother. God's goodness. It's a conscious effort. Make a joyful public confession. Watch this. Noise. Thank God he said noise. Can I get a witness? Noise. A righteous racket. Uh, it means to, uh, uh, it refers to a, a, a ringing cry. Uh, it, it carries the uh, idea of, uh, of something that starts, something that, that starts small. And it grows, and it grows until you can't contain it any longer. You, you ever had anything like that? I mean, you, you, ever just been, you ever just been hit with something so, so powerful that you, you just couldn't, you couldn't help but share it? The first time I experienced this is when I got saved. I'll be honest. The first time I got, I mean, the, when I got saved, I, I remember 14 years of age, I come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. And when I invited Christ to come into my heart, listen, I, I couldn't help it. I had to tell somebody. I mean, I had to tell somebody. Many of you heard this story before. The man I told is in this church right here. Uh, Dan Johnson, wherever he went. Where did Dan go? There he is, right here. Dan, right here. I went to my brother-in-law. I wasn't my brother-in-law at the time. But I went to him and I, he said, how are you? I said, I got saved. Now, why did I say that? Because I couldn't keep it inside. Man, I wanted people to know. Went to class. I got saved when I was in high school. And so I, I went to class. I'm sitting there to the teachers. And, and I, couldn't, I got saved today. Do you know I got saved today? You know I got saved today? I couldn't keep it inside. So much so that my best friend, two days later, he gave his heart to Jesus Christ too. Now, let me say this. Have you ever had something like that happen inside of you? It happened to me again uh, yesterday. I, I have been waiting. I've been waiting several weeks ago. Chuck and Philip shared a song with me by Selah, and uh, it's called I Got Saved. 
And they shared it with me. I'm going to be honest with you. They tried to share another song with me. After that song, I didn't hear a word of that song. All I was thinking about is that song I got saved. And I kept asking. I've wore them out. I know they're tired of me asking them, when's that going to come out? When has it come out yet? Are you, have you got it yet? I, every time I see them, when are we going to sing that song I got saved? Well, praise God, it came out yesterday. And I was so excited. I was so excited that I had, I don't do a lot of sharing on Facebook, but I had to share that, number one, on Facebook. But before I shared it on Facebook, I was sitting there, and I was doing some study, and I was listening to that song, and I just stopped what I was doing and listening to that song. Man, I got, I was a mess. I was weeping and crying and sharing, I mean, just praising God for uh, his salvation. When all of a sudden I heard from the living room, John Grady says, the lawnmower's here. What that meant was, a few weeks ago, or a couple of days ago, actually, uh, Sammy House come and picked up my lawnmower to service it. And he picked my lawnmower up and he serviced it. Well, he brought it back. Well, man, I'm going to be honest with you. Hawk, man, I was a wreck, man. I was weeping and crying and praising God after listening to that song. I mean, that just, I, I mean, still, if I think about it long, I'll start, I'll start crying again. But the fact of the matter is, man, I just weepy. And, and, and so I ran outside and uh, I know Sammy, I don't know what he thought, but I mean, I, I mean I'm a mess. And uh, I said, I want to apologize, brother. I was in my study. And, I, man, I heard this song. Let me tell you about it. And I began to tell him about that song, I Got Saved. And, man, then we got excited. And we started shouting. And we started praising God. And we started giving glory to God. I'm telling you what, that's worship. And you don't have to be in the church house to experience it. But you do have to be in the presence of God. A shouting spirit. Number two, the second thing he says there, we're talking about the right spirit, you ought to bring a serving spirit. Look at what he says in verse 2. A serving spirit, he says there in the text. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord. Uh, that word uh, uh, serve there means to be in bondage to. It refers to whatever the master tells you to do. Uh, it, uh, it means to, to be at his beck and call. Several months ago, this happened to, to Miriam. Several months ago, she was up here singing. And as she was singing a song, uh, she, she just fell to her knees in worshiping God. She just, she did the, and she said, Shane, she said, I just felt like I was so impressed. My spirit was just so impressed uh, to worship him at that very moment. And for me not to do it would have been disobedience. Serving God. A lot of times when we think about this issue of service, a lot of times we, we, we think about uh, you know, being involved in this ministry or that ministry. And that is good, and that is good service, and we need folks to be involved in that kind of service. But when the Spirit of God moves on us, and we're called to fall to our knees in prayer, we're called to fall on our face before God. It ought not matter what anybody thinks. It's better to please God than man. I've got some friends here from my previous church. They're here today. And they'll testify to this. There have been many, many occasions before the preacher even stood up to preach, before he even had the opportunity to preach, that the Holy Spirit of God would move so powerfully in a service that even during the worship or the song worship time, There'd be people slip out of the aisles and they would come forward and just get on the altar and weep and cry. Why? Because God called them to serve. He called them to serve. Uh, a lot of times, uh, well, let me, let, me, let me just keep going because I've got so many stories. I've got so much I want to say. The point I'm trying to make here is this. If we're going to serve the Lord, we've got to have a spirit of service. Number three, the third thing he says, we've got to have a singing spirit. 
Here it is. Look at what he says in, in verse number 2. He says, come before his presence with singing. Now, the, the fact of the matter is, you don't know, need to know how to sing in order to have a song. You, gotta have a, you just have to have a song in your heart if you're going to sing. He's not referring to the, the elegance here. Uh, I wish I had the smoothness of, of Chuck's voice. But I don't. I wish I could sing like Philip. I'd love to sing a, a duet with my wife. But if you've gone online and Googled Shane Robertson, you see, don't give him a microphone to sing. Uh, you've, you've noticed that. The fact of the matter is just simply this. It doesn't matter that I can't sing or not. What the point is, is the Bible says that there needs to be a singing spirit that comes out of a right spirit. And when we come in here together, we ought to all collectively lift our voices in singing with the right spirit, a shouting spirit, a serving spirit, and a singing spirit. So the world will know who our Savior is. Bring the right spirit. Also, he says in the text very quickly, we ought to bring the right submission. We ought to bring the right submission. Look at what he says in verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In this right submission, he clearly says here in the text that we need to submit to the person of God. The Bible tells us that we are told to know the Lord God. Do you know Jesus today? Do you know the Lord God today? He says, know him. In knowing him, you submit yourself to him. This word uh, know means to make the distinction. Uh, we are to make the distinction about who God is. You know, I'm telling you what, we, we, we need to know who God is today. I read an article this week, my stars, about the alpha female. If you're in here today, I'm praying for you. I am. God bless you. I mean, I'm praying for you. We've got this thing now that we're trying our best to, to generate and conjure up the alpha female. And, and uh, they're coming to the conclusion that the alpha female that we created uh, in America uh, does not have the capacity to love. So let me, guys, let me just go ahead and serve you notice. Don't go after the alpha female. They won't love you. And you let that rock on for generations and see where that will get you. We've got this thing so messed up today. Listen to me very carefully. When God created uh, humanity, he created Adam and he created Eve. He created male and he created female. And in that creation, he gave certain responsibilities to the two. And listen, I'm not trying to be dogmatic. I'm not trying uh, to be ugly or insensitive or, or a chauvinist, male chauvinist pig. I'm not trying to. I'm just telling you, God said it's the man's responsibility to lead the home. And in his leadership, we are called to lead our families. Now, I know that we're in this, this equality mess today. and that's, that's fine. Man, they want to fight over that. That's fine. But what are we going to do? What are we going to do as the church? Are we going to do what God says? Or are we just going to get right in line and follow after the world and say, well, here we go. We're just going to do that next. I got news for you. We ain't going to have women deacons around here. So that's, that's harsh. No, that ain't harsh. That's biblical. I love women just like everybody else. I love them so much I married one. But it's my responsibility to lead my family and to get them in church. Now, I know that there's some ladies here that your husbands don't come to church. And you have a great deep desire in your heart for him, for him to come to church. Man, I get that. And man, I'm praying for you. 
Some of you have such a deep desire. Your husband may be here, but his leadership's lousy. Come on, let's just say it like it is. And I'm praying for you. But I'm here to tell you God's design and God's desire is the serving spirit that we have and the submitting spirit that we have is that the husbands submit to God in such a way that they love their wives and the wives respect their husbands. That's the biblical way. Submit to the person of God. Number two, submit to the purpose of God. We ought to submit to the purpose of God. He, he says here uh, in, in the text, he says, uh, Know ye the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us and not we ourselves. The person of God is that he is the creator. He's the one that fashioned us all together. And then number three, we should submit to the promise of God. He says we are the sheep of his pasture. You see, you come to Maysville Baptist Church. I'm not the shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd. He's the shepherd. And because he's the shepherd, we all follow as sheep after the shepherd. And as we follow after the shepherd, it's your responsibility to follow me as I follow him. And I'm to follow him, and as you follow me, I ought to always just be pointing to the Word of God. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what God says. Here's what the Bible says. I'm not saying follow me for me's sake. No, I'm saying follow me because I'm going to follow God. And as I follow God, may we follow him, and may we submit one to another, and submit to the Word of God, and let the Word of God change us. Here's where we're at today. If we really want to make a difference in our world, if we really want to practice worship and walk cautiously, we'll submit ourselves to God, and whatever God says, that's what we'll do. Submit to the promise of God, the sheep of his pasture. When we submit to God and the sheep of the pasture, he'll lead us into green pastures. And then number three, the third thing, very quickly, he says in verse 4 and 5, we bring the right sacrifice. You see what he says there? Uh, he tells us in verse 4 and 5, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Here we're finding that this worship or this sacrifice that he's asking us to enter into is the, bringing the right sacrifice, the sacrifice of praise bringing the sacrifice of praise and we've got so much to thank God for we've got so much to praise God for for example we can praise God for his goodness you see it there in the text uh, he says the Lord in verse 5 the Lord is good is good he is good and his goodness means that he's pleasant he's beautiful he's delightful he's glad he's joyful he's precious he's correct he's righteous it can also mean expensive we bring the sacrifice of praise for his goodness. We bring the sacrifice of praise, number two, for his grace. You see what he says in the text? His mercy is everlasting. Listen, the mercy of God has never failed. It's just as strong today as it was when he created this earth. When he uh, gave to Adam and Eve and didn't annihilate them through their sin, and he did not give them what they deserved, he extended his mercy towards them. And as he extended that mercy, we find that it developed into his wonderful grace. Thank God for the grace that he extends to us. And then number three, very quickly, I got heard. We, need to, we can praise God for his guarantee. What's his guarantee? Look at verse 5 again, and we'll close here from this text. To all generations, his truth endureth to unto all generations. There is his guarantee. God's word is true. We are living today where there's a premium for truth. I mean, where are you going to find truth? 
I mean, listen, you're not going to find truth today on the news. Uh, who knows what the truth is on that? You're not going to find the truth uh, today in those areas. You're not going to find truth in regards to the world. Where you're going to find truth is the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God is truth. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is truth. He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man will come to the Father but by me. But in regards to this issue of the truth, his truth endureth to all generations. He's simply saying this, the truth that we have wrapped up here in the Word of God, it endures to us, it, it has been given to us that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So we find here how worship is practiced. It, we ought to walk cautiously. Number two, the second thing we find is not only should we walk cautiously back in Ecclesiastes, he also says that we should listen carefully. Listen carefully. Notice what the Bible says back in our text over in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 in verse number 1. In the second part he says, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Be more ready to hear then give the sacrifice of fools. So he says here in the text that we should be more concerned with learning what God has to reveal from his word. Uh, one of the things that um, um, I, I pray, I, my, my prayer is this, that we don't come to church and say, I wish so-and-so would have heard that message. Uh, my prayer is, God, you have me here. What are you trying to teach me today? What are you trying to teach me? I know there's a million people that we wish could have been here to hear this message or that message or a particular message. But when you're in church, when you're in worship, God's got you here for a word he's trying to share with you. And so it's not that, Lord, I, I wish so-and-so would have been here. It's us. Are we listening carefully? He says, you be more ready to hear when it comes to the issue of God's word. Our attitude really should be that of Samuel. You remember what Samuel said when... The Lord called him. You remember he didn't know the Lord was calling him. And finally he uh, got counsel and realized the Lord was calling him. And when the Lord spoke to him, remember what Samuel said in 1 Samuel chapter 3? He said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. May we come and say, speak, Lord. I'm listening. You know, it's the same thing that the Bereans did in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the Bible says this about the Bereans. They receive the word with all readiness. Are, are you ready to receive the word? Are you ready? Are, are, you, are you anticipating what it is God's trying to tell you? Or are you just kind of going through an ecclesiastical activity? I, you know, yes. Wife said go to church, so bless God I'm going to church. Or, or husband said go to church, so I'm just going to go to church. So, you know, it's kind of like that little kid that got in trouble and, the, the teacher told him to sit down. He said, sit down. And uh, the little kid didn't want to sit down. Finally, the teacher put her hand on his shoulders and sat him down and said, I said, sit down. And he folded his arms. He said, well, I'm going to tell you right now, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Uh, sometimes we think about church that way. Bless God, I'm here, but I, I'm not happy about it. And I got news for you, it's all over your face. I mean, it is. It is all over your face. You're here, but you're not here. You know, I find fascinating this principle. You, you can be close to the cross, but far from Christ. You, you think about, you, you remember the story, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross, I mean, there he is. And he's speaking to the thief. And the thief says, remember me uh, when, when thou gettest in thy kingdom. 
He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he hears this conversation, not only between these two, or, or there's this conversation going, not only between these two, but between Jesus and, and the Father. And the whole time this is taking place, there are guards all around the cross. And they're listening and they're hearing. They're close to the cross, but they're far from Christ. As they gamble for the garments of Jesus Christ, they're close to him. They're close to the cross, but they're far from Christ. A lot of times there are people that come to church and they're in church, but they're not a part of church. You understand that this is not just some kind of ecclesiastical responsibility that we're participating in. We're, we're not just doing this because the Bible says, you know, just do it. You, you need to just do it. No, it's more than just being here and bringing your tithes and bringing your offerings. Uh, we are here today to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, listen carefully. Walk cautiously. Number three, sacrifice correctly. You see it in verse number 1, again, chapter 5, verse 1. He talks about the sacrifice of fools. The sacrifice of fools. Now, we talked about this last week. The word fool in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is an interesting thing. In the New Testament, it means the same thing. But it, it, it doesn't mean idiot. We, we think about the word fool, and we think about idiot. He's a fool. He's an idiot. He's a buffoon. He's a, a klutz or, or whatever you want to say. That, that's not the definition of a, a biblical fool. A biblical fool is someone that rejects God. It carries more theological weight than just being a klutz. He says no, or a court gesture. We think about that word fool, we think about court gesture. No, that, that's, not, that's not a biblical fool. A biblical, biblical fool rejects God. It's those that are atheistic in their belief system. It's those that are, uh, carry a, an air of agnosticism in their belief system. Now, why are they fools? Solomon said it. Remember, Solomon, the wisest man on earth, said in chapter 3, he said, God has put eternity in everybody's hearts. So everybody here, God's put eternity in your heart. And because God's put eternity in your heart, just by your simple heart knowledge... I'm not talking about a head knowledge, your heart knowledge. Your heart tells you that you're going to live forever somewhere, sir. It says it. You know that. You, you search your heart right now. Search your heart. And your heart will tell you that this is not the end. We're only passing by. When you die, you're going to spend an eternity somewhere. Solomon said, God put that in your heart. And if God put eternity in your heart, then that means this life is going to come to an end. And so Solomon, in his wisdom, says that there's a correct sacrifice that we offer. And this correct sacrifice is not the sacrifice of fools. The sacrifice of fools that he's talking about here is a sacrifice that would be an abomination to God. I don't have time to look at it, but over in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9, Solomon talked about it. Proverbs 28, 9, if you want to look at it a little bit later, he talked about the abomination that's an abomination of God, this worship, a sacrifice of fools. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus said, I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to accept the sacrifice of fools. 1 Corinthians shows this in practice. Remember what happened in 1 Corinthians. The, the Bible talks about over in chapter number 13. He, he, he's sharing about this issue of that they're sick. There's many that are sick among them. And they're coming to the Lord's Supper and they're not partaking right. The reason why they weren't partaking right is they weren't offering the right sacrifice. The sacrifice that God wants of you today is you. He wants you to be a living sacrifice. 
He wants you to say, God, all that I am is yours. All that I have is yours. I am a living, I'm coming to you with open hands. I'm a living sacrifice. He says that the sacrifice of fools is correct, a, a sacrifice correctly. Number four, very quickly, promise conscientiously. Promise conscientiously. This is found in verse 2 and 3. Notice what he says in verse 2 in the first part. He says, be not rash with thy mouth. He's speaking here and he goes on to speak about the promises that you make, the vows that you make. Jesus had something to say about this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, it's better for you just to let your yes be yes or your no be no if you're going to make a vow and break it before God. The vows that we make before God are so vitally important. We ought to be people that keep our word. You know, there are several individuals in the word of God that made vows and they had to keep it. And things haven't changed. We ought to keep our vows. I think about one, uh, just to point it out, I think about Herod. you remember Herod? Herod loved to listen to John the Baptist preach. But Herod also uh, loved his niece. So here's Herod. He's married. He, he has uh, this girlfriend. It's his niece. She's married to Herod's brother, Philip. And so they like to go, and just for fun, they like to go listen to John the Baptist preach. And I can imagine, you know, I bet it was some more of an event. The Bible says that he dressed uh, in camel hair. He ate locusts and wild honey. I, I, many, many years ago when I was a, a teenager, I got to play John the Baptist in our adult musical, in our adult play. We had a big civic center there in Gadsden, and, and I got to dress up like a... Uh, John the Baptist, you know, got my hair all crazy and I had on the camel skin. I had one job, come in the back and preach. You brood of vipers, you brood of vipers, you're all going to hell. Everybody, get saved. And, you know, I just, that's the, the, I loved it. It was wonderful. Everybody, I scared everybody to death. But I guess that accomplished what it was going to be. So if that's the way it was, no wonder, no wonder uh, Herod enjoyed that. And Herod would sit there, and he, and he respected John the Baptist. And he, listen, he heard John the Baptist say, and even point out on more than one occasion, personally, his sin. John, did, man, John the Baptist didn't pull any punches. He'd point right at Herod and said, Herod, you're wrong. You should not be dating your niece. Because you're going to divorce your wife, he's going to divorce his wife, and y'all were going to hook up and get together. That's a sin against God. Well, Herod would listen and... And man, it was getting through to Herod, but Herod's, wife, Herod's uh, future wife didn't like it at all. Herodias, you remember what Herodias said? Herodias said, look, buddy, she must have been an alpha female. said, listen, buddy, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to have to do something with that John the Baptist. And uh, apparently, he must've, she must have cut him off in some way, shape, or form. Because he came back to her and said, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. What do you want me to do? And she said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And he made a vow. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. You tell me whatever it is you want me to do. She said, put his head on a platter. I want his head. Cut him off and bring his head to me. And so here it kept his promise. God also kept his promise. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus kept his promise to you. 
He made a promise back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. And that promise he made is that he would crush Satan. And as he crushed Satan, there would be a bruising of the Messiah's heel. And that was what, what they call in the theological circles the proto-evangelium. It was the prototype, the prophecy of the Old Testament, the first prophecy ever made. God made it. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to redeem fallen man. And he kept that promise through Jesus Christ. And all Solomon is saying just right here in this text is simply this. You ought to keep your promise to God. You ought to keep your promise to God. Promise conscientiously. And then number five, and the last one, the fifth thing he says here in the text, is he says that we ought to give completely. Give completely. In verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, he talks about this issue of giving. He talks about our money. He talks about money. In regards, he talks about uh, the, the issue of giving money as you've made a commitment to God. You committed to God that you were going to give some funds, some money, and then you stay true to that. You stay true to giving what you said you were going to give. And he uses this term, don't let your mouth cause you to sin. It's better just to keep your mouth shut than to make promises you cannot keep. He says, in doing so, notice what he says in verse number 6. He says, wherefore, in the latter part, wherefore should God be angry at thy voice? He didn't say God didn't hear your voice. He says, let God be angry at your voice. There were times growing up, and Lance, you probably remember growing up, where mom would say something like, I don't even want to hear you talk. Now, she wasn't being ugly. She just got tired of hearing me talk. i got to be honest with you. I say that to some of my kids, too. You're just going to have to just hush. I'm tired of hearing you talk. i got one kid. Uh, she tells you a story. I don't know if I'm going to live long enough to hear the end of it. I mean, I mean, really, it just goes on and on and on. But I'm, I'm thankful, thankful. But, hey, can you just bring it, bring it down to, like, small where I can get it, you know? Watch what you say. Be careful with what you say. And if you say you're going to do something, then do it. Give completely. It's more than just, it's more than just financial, though. It, it, it's, it's, it's all around your whole life. If you said you're going to live for Jesus, then why aren't you living for Jesus? If you say that you're born again, if you say that you've been redeemed, if you say that you love God, then why is that not demonstrated in your life? You see, Solomon says, I've looked all around, and there's vanity upon vanity upon vanity. And one of the vanities, he said, is religion. And by not practicing what Solomon is saying here is just a religious form of worship. And he says, that is vanity. You know, when you think about it, the key takeaway from these seven verses, the key takeaway can be summed up in two words. Fear God. When it comes to worship, we're to fear God. Uh, he says it here in verse number 7. You see it in the latter part. But he uses the uh, biblical conjunction to call our attention to the practice that we are to practice. He says, but fear God. That means get saved. That's not the only time he's going to use it. Turn, turn over uh, to chapter 12 in verse number 13. You, you'll see it again. Because he goes on to say, here's the whole conclusion. Here's the conclusion of this whole matter. All, I, he's trying his best to get to this place. He says two things. Number one, fear God. Keep his commandments. 
For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon is just simply saying this. It's appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment. Fear God. That's the Old Testament way of saying get saved and, and obey his commandments. That's the Old Testament way of saying, why don't you practice what the Bible says? Put it in practice in your life. You may be here today and you might say, well, wait a minute. Uh, I want to fear God. I want to get saved. But I don't know how. I don't know how to get saved. If God has put eternity in your heart, and the Bible says he has, and the Bible says that because there's eternity in your heart, you're going to know you're going to live forever, then there must be a way, according to God's word, for us to know that we're going to heaven when we die. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So the Bible does say that you can know. And the way that you can know is you've got to believe on the name of the Son of God. Now what's fascinating is that word believe, it does not mean a head knowledge. Again, it means a heart knowledge. There goes that eternity again that Solomon talked about. He says there's got to be a belief in your heart that you know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Died on Calvary's cross for your sins and for mine and for our sins. And on the third day rose again victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Have you ever had that experience in your life? If you ever do, you cannot help but get it out. Let's bow for prayer. You may be here this morning and maybe you've never trusted Jesus as Savior. Maybe you've never prayed to receive Christ. And maybe as you think about eternity being in your heart, God has spoken to your heart. And knowing that you're going to live forever, where are you going to spend that eternity? Maybe you're here this morning and you would like to know that you're going to spend an eternity with Jesus. Then quit running from God. Obey the scriptures. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So if you're here this morning and you'd like to be saved, if you want to make that connection with God, I wonder right where you're sitting, would you cry out to him? Would you just say this? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Cleanse my heart. And save me. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And no one looking around. Maybe you're here today and maybe you prayed that little prayer the best you knew how. The best you knew how. You prayed and asked Jesus to come into your heart. I want to welcome you to the family of God. I want to thank you for obeying God's word. So if you're here today and you'd say, Preacher, I did that today. I, I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart. Right where you're sitting this morning. Would you just slide your hand up nice and high? Just pick your hand up nice and high. Say, I did that today, preacher. I asked Jesus to save me. I got saved today. Just stick it right up real high and say, I did that today. I got saved. Thank you so very much. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, preacher, I'm saved. I'm born again. 
But my worship isn't what it should be. Man, I've got grudges. I'm angry. I'm not having my quiet time like I should. And I've got some issues. I'm not giving my money or myself. I'm just showing up on Sunday mornings. I'm just going through the motions. I know I need to get back to God. Would you pray for me? I sure will. If you'd like to be included in that prayer, and that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Let me pray for you this morning. Thank you so much. God bless you. Someone else. Thank you. Anyone else? God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you so much. God truly does love you. And he's calling you to himself. Would you obey him today? Would you confess your sins and get right with God? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the hands that were raised. Lord, I thank you for the hearts that are here. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you do what only you can. Lord, would you move in the hearts and lives of our spirits? God, would you cause us to walk in obedience? As we have a free will, may we choose to worship you. God will be very careful to give you the praise and glory for what you're going to do. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name.